Children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. And I don't know if our scripture reading this morning caused great fear in anybody. Because last week I said we're done with Jonah and all of a sudden we're back in Jonah 2. But what I hope we do this morning will be, will be effectual for the glory of God. Um, but next week, um, in just preparation, we will begin our study in Micah. Uh, and we'll be in Micah um, through almost till the beginning of summer. But with that said, let us stand for the reading of the word from Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 38 to 42. Matthew 12, verses 38 to 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah went three days and three nights into the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Don McMillan is a corporate comedian. He's someone that is often invited to come to corporate meetings and conferences to provide relief and laughter. And from what I've seen, he's very funny, and he's actually very clean. But Don has this set that he does. It's called the Career Venn Diagram. And he draws a Venn Diagram revealing how he made a career path from an engineer to a comedian. Now, of course, a Venn Diagram, we all know, uses two circles. And the parts where the circles don't connect reveal how the two things being compared are not alike. But the things in the middle, the things that do overlap, show the traits that are shared between the two things or the two people. And in his stand-up, Don explains what is needed to be a comedian. And he draws two circles. And he writes in one circle, good at math skills. And the second was good at problem solving. And he said, no guidance counselor says those are the two skills that need to be for a comedian. No, those are the skills that are needed for an engineer. And then next to his circle where he, said, where he writes problem solving, he writes people skills. If you're good at solving problems and you have people skills, you should be in marketing. And on the other side, he draws a circle that overlaps with math skills. And he writes... OCD. If you have good math skills and you have a little bit of OCD where everything needs to be exactly right, you should go into accounting. And he continues to draw these circles and he ends up drawing this larger circle and says, you actually need all of these traits to be a comedian. Over the past two months, we've been going through the book of Jonah and I hope you have noticed the comparison between the characters in the book of Jonah. But what might surprise you is who actually has the common traits. 
For example, if we were drawing a Venn diagram and on one side we put Jonah and the other side we put Yahweh, the covenant Lord, how God has revealed himself and his personal name to Israel. If we have these two names next to each other, Jonah represented the northern kingdom, representing Israel itself. What traits have we heard that are similar? And it should shock you. We've been in Jonah for a month and a half. What traits has Jonah shown that are similar to the Yahweh, to the Lord that he serves? When in fact, underneath the Yahweh column, we write a God who is full of compassion, grace, and mercy. Slow to anger and abound in steadfast love. He wanted to save the people of Nineveh. He wanted the people of Nineveh to know who he was so that they might repent of their sin. But yet if we were drawing this Venn diagram, what we have on the other side is Jonah, who hears this commission, who hears this call of the Lord to go and to preach the word, and yet, what does he do? Well, in the last chapter of Jonah, we find out. He doesn't want to go because he doesn't want the people of Nineveh to hear about this Lord who is compassionate and merciful. No, in fact, we actually see a contrast, something that separates them. God is faithful with his word, and Jonah is unfaithful to that word. God is drawn to a people who haven't heard him, and Jonah runs from the people that God is sending him. It's like Jonah had short-term and selective memory loss. Because every Israelite should remember how God had called them in the very beginning. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God had called them to be his people when he called Abraham. And this is what he said to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred at, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. But then Jonah kind of gets mixed up in this call. And this is all that Jonah seems to remember. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now that's a pretty good promise. I'll sign up for that. You will bless me, you'll make my name great, you'll make me wealthy, and you'll curse everyone who dishonors me? I'd sign up for that any day. But that wasn't what God called Abram to do. That wasn't what God intended for Israel to be. Because that's not what the text says. This is what Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. God called them. God called Abraham and that people to be a blessing to the families, to the end of the earth. 
to serve them, to nourish flourishment with a relationship with the God who created them. But here's what shocks us when we read Jonah. When we look at all these different characters, is that the the sailors actually looked a lot more like Yahweh than Jonah did. Because what the sailors did, when they were presented with the evidence that Jonah was the cause of the the turmoil, of the tempestuous water that they were found, when they found out it was Jonah, what did they say? They said, we don't want to throw you overboard. We don't want innocent blood to be on our hands. This is what they said in verse 14 of chapter 1. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, O Lord, you have done as it pleased you. And if you remember what I said, if I would have been the sailors and I found out it was Jonah that was causing this storm that we are in, I would have thrown him over as fast as I possibly could. And yet what we see is that these sailors have more in common with Jonah, have more in common with the Lord, the Yahweh that Jonah serves, than Jonah does. The sailors actually looked more like Yahweh than my own heart did. And if we expanded the Venn diagram and we wrote another circle, this one containing the Ninevites and Yahweh, Remember that the Ninevites were the world power. They were known for their brutal and inhumane war tactics. But what did we learn about them? We had a stark contrast, not between them and Yahweh, but between them and Jonah. When Jonah finally went and preached his five Hebrew word sermon, which probably was a literary tool to show Jonah's complete inadequacy, the pagan Ninevites repented. Jonah fled from the word of the Lord and disobeyed, which was the improper response. Nineveh heard the word of the Lord and they obeyed the proper response. And what else do we see from these Ninevites? When the Ninevites were faced with the terrible judgment of the Lord for their sins, what did they do? They repented. But what else did they do? They made their animals repent. And this is funny to our ears. Their animals? How do animals repent? What in the world are these Ninevites doing? But this is what this characteristic reveals. They cared deeply for the animals that God had given them. They did not want to see these animals perish. And what contrast did we see in the book of Jonah? We saw Jonah who only cared for creation when it provided him comfort. He wasn't interested in it because God created it. He was interested in it because it provided relief from the sun. Again, it was the pagans who had more similar traits to Yahweh than Jonah. And so we have all of these contrasts, all these comparisons. Jonah 
in Yahweh. Jonah's view of Israel's role in mission and God's view of Israel's role in mission. Jonah's response and Nineveh's response to the word. Jonah's view of Yahweh and the pagan's view of Yahweh. Jonah's view of creation and a pagan view of creation. Even Jonah's view of death. If you don't remember, three times in the book of Jonah, he would have rather died than repent and follow the word of the Lord. And if we look at the characters of the sailors and the Ninevites, they did everything in their power not to die. These contrasts should have startled us. They should have caused us and the readers of the text then to ask themselves, who do I look like? Do I look more like Jonah? Or do I look more like Yahweh? The reason we come to Matthew's gospel this morning is because I want us to read the book of Jonah well. If we've been reading the book of Jonah well, then the other parts of Scripture should help us interpret Jonah. And this is what we see. Jonah gives, or Jesus gives us a glimpse to the purpose of Jonah. And my goal this morning is not to verify that I'm right. What I hope for us to see this morning is that to be good interpreters of the Word of God, we have to consider the entire Word of God, the whole counsel of God. And in Matthew 12, Jesus interprets the most commonly told and known part of Jonah. And it is imperative that we see how he interprets it. And my aim isn't just to verify what we've been saying the past two weeks or past two months. My aim this morning is that we sit at the feet of Jesus. That we hear the words of Jesus. Because this is what we're faced with. These scribes and Pharisees are coming to Jesus. Mark tells us in his gospel that they are trying to find a slip in his theology. They're trying to get a reason so that they can arrest him and so that they can kill him. And these scribes and these Pharisees, these are the experts of the law. They're the ones that trained all of Israel how to interpret the Old Testament. They were the embodiment of what everything Israel should have stood for. And yet in this passage, if we draw a Venn diagram... We see them in comparison and contrast to Jesus. Because what do they do? Well, in verse 38, they say, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. What we should see also is that when someone, what signs meant to do in the Old Testament were almost exclusively given as God's good gifts to his people. Not as a result of demand from unbelieving skeptics. They were given to show God's mercy and to reveal his love. 
Jesus' miracles were always directed to fulfill the need of someone and to increase their faith. And yet what Jesus is saying and what Jesus tells these Pharisees is pretty abrupt. It's pretty harsh. Because these Pharisees really didn't want a sign from Jesus. There was no other sign that he had, he had just healed a man with a withered hand. He had already come and exercised demons from out of people. They are wanting something more than Jesus. They are wanting a Jesus who doesn't look like Jesus. They are wanting a Jesus that looks like them. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus says that they will receive no other sign, and he tells them why. You are an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Except for the sign of Jonah. Well, what sign is he speaking of? Some commentators argue about whether Jonah actually did a sign or if Jonah actually was the sign. But we don't have recorded anywhere in the book of Jonah of Jonah himself doing a sign. If anything, the author is very, very clear. All of these signs, all of these miracles that happen in Jonah are all because of Yahweh. But what Jesus is saying is that Jonah was the sign. He was the sign. He was the arrow. This is the way back to the Lord. And there was only one sign that actually changed Jonah's heart. That actually fostered a change in his attitude. That changed his tone. That changed everything about him. There was only one sign that caused him to have an identity crisis. And it was when he went into the belly of the great fish. When he was rescued from death when he was rescued from going down as far away from Yahweh as anyone can go. And God used that fish as a vehicle that brought him from death to life. And it changed Jonah. Jesus is using Jonah as an object lesson, as a comparison. This is what he says in verse 40. 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is predicting his death, his descent into Sheol, and his eventual resurrection from the dead as something greater than Jonah. He's saying something greater is here. Here's the contrast. Here's the unspoken point. Jonah was a terrible prophet. And he went and preached to the Ninevites and they repented of their sin. 
something greater than Jonah is here, and yet you will not repent of your sin. He's saying that you do not believe. And so what will happen is that these Ninevites, this queen of the south, these two pagans who received the word of the Lord, turned from their old life and followed after Yahweh, they will come and testify against you in the final judgment. You had the signs of the covenant, the oracles of God, and yet because of your unfaithfulness, these pagans who did not have the oracles of God, who did not have the covenant sign, who did not have a covenant relationship with the Lord, they will stand and condemn you because of your faithlessness. Here they have Jesus, who John says is the word, standing in front of them, witnessing against them, and they want something more. And what Matthew is forcing his readers to do is he's forcing us to ask ourselves, do we want something more than Jesus? Do we want Jesus just on our own terms? Because if we do, what we're truly saying is that we want a Jesus that just looks like us. We're putting Jesus into a box and asking for nothing more. These Pharisees and scribes, they were rejecting Jesus, the greater prophet, the Messiah, And the contrast that Jesus is making is that these Pharisees are in the same box as Jonah. They're same circle as Jonah. Why were these Jewish leaders rejecting Jesus? He had performed many signs, and yet they rejected him. The only answer that Scripture gives us It's the same reason we've been looking at the book of Jonah. It's the same reason that Jonah didn't want to proclaim the word to the Ninevites. They have the same heart problem that Jonah had. They didn't want God to look like God. And here's our litmus test. Here's our Venn diagram. Do we look like Jesus? Or do we look like Jonah? Because here's the truth of the matter. Is that Jesus refuses them to give another sign. He actually calls them a wicked and adulterous generation. Because they wanted more. They wanted more from Jesus. They wanted something greater than Jesus. And our problem is, is that we do this exact same thing. 
we foster in our hearts these questions. Well, Jesus, if you do this, then I'll do this. Jesus, if you just give me this, then I'll know you're true. Jesus, if you just reveal this, then I will believe. Then I will follow. Rather than looking to the only sign that Jesus gave and saying, Jesus, I give my life and my all to follow you. The true word of God. We will receive no other sign. There is no sign under heaven that is greater than the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're asking for more, you're just revealing what's at the core of your heart. And what Jesus is saying is that if we reject him, if we reject this sign that was greater than Jonah, if we reject the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we will be held accountable and culpable for our sins. Jesus surpasses Jonah. Jesus surpasses Solomon. Jesus surpasses Abraham. Jesus surpasses Jacob and is greater than Moses. Jesus is God in the flesh who has come to preach repentance, to have said, come off the path that you're on and come this way. And we should have the same response as the people of Nineveh. And Jesus does it to fulfill the love of God that he has for us. The request for a sign from these scribes and Pharisees was a mark of their failure to repent of their sin. And because of their faithlessness, Jesus told them that they would stand judgment. And here's our problem. Typically, this is the way that we look at the world. Oh, that world out there? If they don't see Jesus, if they don't repent of their sin, they will stand judgment before God. And yes, that is true. But that's not who Jesus is talking to. Jesus talking to those that are in the church, that are religious people, that knew, as Bill said, who had memorized almost the entire Pentateuch. Because what they had done is they had memorized the entire Pentateuch, but they hadn't seen Jesus for who he truly is. A God compassionate and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly for the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The earth did not vomit up Jesus. The earth could not contain Jesus, the word of God. He is the faithful one who perfectly revealed God's love and his mercy for sinners. And he was raised from the dead for you. Covering all of your sins. And asking you to follow him on the path of righteousness. Because of Christ, you will never be forsaken if you follow by faith. Because of Christ, you will never be cast out. Jesus sums up in just these three verses the entire book of Jonah. Repent and follow Jesus. And if you do, this passage should bring you great hope, assurance, and joy. Because for the people of God, for the people of God who have faith, we are able to follow him into eternal life. Because he is just and he is true. And he loves us regardless of our sin. And he has called us to become his disciple. To have a heart for the nations. And he has given us everything that we need because he is faithful and he is true. And this is why we come to this table. To be nourished with Jesus. To be sustained by Jesus. Because without Jesus, we have no hope. That's the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, cause us to see our sin and cause us to run after Jesus. Father, bless us that we might be a blessing to the nations. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.